my prayer and my hope that your heart has been stirred in some way uh, by what we've done so far and, and that you are ready and you're open to hear what the Lord has to say to you. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. First of all, uh, our, our middle school just got back from camp and uh, we're grateful for their good week and also for a safe return. Remind you to pray because this afternoon at 2 o'clock, David, is that right, 2 o'clock, the children will be leaving for, chil- leaving for children's camp for the week. So remember them. And then next Sunday, the senior highs will leave for their camp. So this is the three weeks in a row that we have camp and stuff. So uh, keep them all in prayer. Also keep in prayer. Again, Vacation Bible School, looking forward to a great time uh, for that. For those of you who have children, maybe it's the first time you're here, remind you that normally on every week we'll have children's church this time, but today they will stay with us and, and be a part of what we're doing in here. We began three weeks ago a series of sermons, not only we, but but seven other churches in Fountain Hills began a series of sermons. We entitled this series called, We Are in the Boat, We Are in This Boat Together. We Are in This Boat Together. And we talked about what it means to be in the boat with Jesus. And last week, I hope you remember that, that we found out that, that Jesus is the one who, who takes care of things when the sea gets troubled. He's there. He, is, he not only provides for us, but I hope you learned last week that he himself is our provision. Now this week, we're going to be in the book of Mark, so take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about being in this boat together, and the, the title of the message is Drop Anchor. Drop Anchor. So what do you do when you drop anchor? What do you intend to do when you drop anchor? Not move. You intend to stay there where you're at. And the point of the message this morning is, as we talk about dropping anchor as we're in this boat together, is the place that we're dropping anchor is what is of the utmost importance. Where are we going to stop? Where are we going to stay still at least for a little bit to get what we need? And the answer is, we're going to drop anchor where Jesus is. We're going to drop anchor in order to spend some time with Jesus. We're going to drop anchor in order that we might be able to hear from Jesus. What's on his heart? What concerns him? What's important to him? What is his truth that needs to be applied to our lives as the children of God? What direction do we need? You know, sometimes we get so busy that we're always moving. And I know it's hard to hit a moving target. I understand that. But sometimes we need to stop. Sometimes we need to, we need to literally drop anchor and spend some time with Jesus. You know, when you read the book of Acts, and, and I know we're in the book of Mark, but I just want to lay this foundation with you. When you read the book of Acts, there, there's something that's said about the disciples of Jesus. Now think about who these men were. They were not, as far as we know, great scholars. At least they did not have the pedigree of great scholars. When Jesus found most of his disciples, he found them fishing. They worked with their hands. These were men. These were, these were guys that, that made their living working with their hands. And yet, later on, when you read some of the things that like Peter wrote and John wrote, you go, a fisherman wrote that? It's an incredible thing. Well, in the book of Acts, it talks about the transformation of the disciples of Jesus Christ from a, from a, a non-Christian perspective. In other words, even the religious world at that time who had no faith in Jesus Christ, they looked at these men, these followers of Jesus, and they knew them to be, to be fishermen, not, not greatly skilled in, 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 in the, the academics. And they said, well, we don't know where they got all this, but here's what we do know about them. 
He said, they said, we know that they've been with Jesus. That's all we know about them. We, they don't have a school. They don't have a, they, you know, they, have, they don't have their sheepskin. They don't have a, a position. They're, they're not rabbis. They're not, they're not recognized by the religious elite of, our, of that day. All they knew about them was these men had spent time with Jesus. Now, the world could not comprehend what else took place for these men. We know that they spent three years in probably the greatest seminary class the world has ever known. How many of you love to spend three years learning at the feet of Jesus? Okay? So they, they spent those... But we also know that even after they spent those three years at the feet of Jesus, they still didn't get it, right? They still didn't... It, 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 it didn't click. And then Jesus said to them at the end of their great training period, he said, now, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to wait. And what you're waiting for is my Holy Spirit. And he's going to come upon you, and he will take everything that is mine, and he will give it to you. And we know what happened on the day of Pentecost. These men who had spent that time in this great seminary class learning all these things and observing all these things that Jesus had done, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit indwelled them and filled them and and moved among them, and they were transformed. Prior to that time, they were hiding from the authorities. After that time, they were standing up in great boldness, the boldness of the Holy Spirit of God, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel to a world that needed to hear the gospel. Men who were transformed. But they spent time, and the world says, these are people, these are men who spent time with Jesus. That's what we know about them. My hope is for our church, for we who are followers of Jesus, that that, that when the world looks at us and when they consider us, whether they like us or not, whether they accept us or not, at least they understand we are Jesus' people. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our teacher. He's everything that we need. And as you go out in this world and you, and you, and you, live, you live your life before the world, what they need to see, again, I remind you this, is not people trying to do their best to live the Christian life, but what they need to see is people who are surrendered to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, so that when they see you and they see me, they don't see us, they see who? Jesus in us. That's the call of the church. That's, that's what we're, we're to be about. That the world might see Jesus in us. And that's only going to happen when you and I are surrendered to Christ. It's only going to happen when we spend time with our Savior. How can we tell them about Jesus, a Jesus who we don't really know? And I, you say, well, Pastor, we know him. We, I trust him as my Savior whenever. And sadly, for many Christians, you think about it in many churches, that's all they know about Jesus. Now, that's a good thing to know that you're saved. But God intended for us to not only know him unto salvation, but to know him intimately and personally. How can we reflect Christ if we don't know him? How can we show the world who Jesus is if we ourselves have never spent any time with him? So today I encourage you to drop anchor. Not only today, in the days ahead, I encourage you to drop anchor. In the weeks ahead, drop anchor in the... For the rest of your life, drop anchor at times when the Holy Spirit leads you. And listen, church, just spend time with Jesus. That's never wasted time. You understand that? That's never wasted time. So, it's a unique thing that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. We can do that anywhere, anytime we can spend time with Jesus. Well, let's read our passage for this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Here's what it says. It says, 
And again, he, and the he there in the passage is Jesus. Again, he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got in the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony places where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up but it, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we ask that you give us ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us through your word. And Father, help us to understand that that's not just hearing words audibly, but that is receiving your truth. So I pray today you help us to receive your truth and help us once again as as your people to see what a blessing we have to be able to spend time with our Savior, to hear from him, and to know him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great gift God has given us, the, the gift of being able to spend time with Jesus. Yes, I think it would be great, like many of you, it would be great to be able to sit there face-to-face with Jesus. But here's the reality, if, if we believe what the Bible says. You and I daily can spend time face-to-face with Jesus. You and I daily can have the teachings of Christ the same way that the disciples had the teachings of Christ. They are given to us in this precious book we call the Scripture, the Bible. And not only are they given to us written down in this wonderful, and I would say without hesitation, infallible, God-breathed, inspired book. Amen? They're only given to us that way, but they are given to us alongside, if I can put it this way, God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who takes that inspired word, and teaches us it. It helps us to receive it. In the same way that the disciples could could hear from the voice of Jesus, you and I today can hear from the voice of Jesus. We can receive the teachings of Jesus. In our passage here, it begins by saying in verse 1, it said, And again he began to teach them by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered with or, or to him. Think about this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, what could be better? Being with Jesus, what could be better? There are a lot of important people in this world, a lot of famous people in this world. Maybe you can start making your list that you would be thrilled to death if they were to come to you and say, you know what, I just want to spend the afternoon with you. And boy, we, some of those people would probably be telling them, you can't believe who called me. So-and-so called me and said they wanted to spend the afternoon with me. It would be all over Facebook. You know that's true. And every selfie we could get would be up on our side. Look who I'm spending the afternoon with. Then It's an interesting thing how we do that with, with personalities, with human beings, how we would be thrilled if somebody, quote, important, would spend time with us. Yet we neglect to see the reality 
that we have this, our Savior, the Creator of this universe, God Almighty, who not only asks you to spend time with Him, but He desires for you and I to spend time with Him. And by the way, you know how important people are. They spend time with you or they listen to you just, in, just as long as someone else doesn't come along to distract them. Or maybe someone more important than you to take them away. Here's what you can know about our Jesus. He not only wants you to spend time with him, he not only desires for you to spend time with him, but when he spends time with us, he is focused on us. He is listening to what we have to say. He cares about what's going on in our life. He cares about about who you are. He sees you as his own dear child. You know, when I I know I see a good parent or a good grandparent, it's when their children or their grandchildren come up and they start talking and they stop everything else. I got to hear what this one has to say. I've been in the ministry for almost 30, over 35 years now and stuff. And I always tell, tell my, my secretary, if my wife calls, if my children call, and it's going to be very soon, if my grandchildren call, it scares me to think that they'll be on the phone soon, but if they call, they get right through. They get right through. It has been that way my whole ministry. Why? Why would I do that? Does that make anybody else in the room less important? Of course not. What I want you to understand is Jesus is so good at that. He never puts you on hold. When you or, or, or me as his child want to speak to our Savior, our Lord, he's there. He's ready to listen. In our passage here, he, these people wanted to hear from Jesus. They wanted to, to spend some time with Jesus. What could be better than spending time with Jesus. And yet we who have the ability, literally, to spend time with Jesus every day, have you ever taken an assessment of your day to see how much time you literally spend with Jesus? I think I would, personally, would be kind of embarrassed if I looked on, uh, personally, if I looked on how much I watch TV, how much I read books, which usually are good books, how much I'm uh, doing things that I think I want to do. Uh, all those kind of things. And then when I put that up beside spending time with Jesus, uh, it doesn't really seem personally that it really is a priority for me. Somehow we've lost the sense of what a great privilege it is that we can possibly spend time with the creator of the universe, the savior of our soul, that he wants to spend time with us. It's a very precious, it's a very wonderful thing. When you begin to think about it, spending time at the feet of Jesus, what could be better than that? Many years ago, there was a Christian artist, uh, and he's still alive today. He doesn't do many concerts anymore, but his name was Larnell Harris. Anybody remember Larnell Harris of the Christian Christian music? Uh, He sang a lot, many times with Sandy Patty on songs and stuff. But but Larnell also had this wonderful song that it just echoes in my mind a lot when I get so busy. I just get so busy. And then, you ever done that? You just get so busy, and you, and you get to the end of your day, and you say, first of all, where'd this day go, and what really happened on this day? And I didn't even, I didn't even talk to Jesus one time today. Well, Larnell sang this song, and the name of the song is called, I Miss My Time With You. And it, it is sung from the perspective of Jesus talking to one of his own children. 
And he says in that song, he says, you know what? You say you're busy, and in your business you're doing all these things for me. That's what Jesus says. He says, but I don't want you to do all these things for me that you think you ought to do. I just want to spend time with you. Spending time at the feet of Jesus. What could be better than that? Now let me, let me ask you this. How could we possibly know the heart of Jesus unless we spent time with him? Most Christians know a lot about Jesus. We could take a test. We could take a test. People tell us, yeah, who was Jesus? The Son of God. How did he come to this earth? He was born of a virgin. Is he God? Yes, he's God. Is he man? Yes, he's man. We, got, we, could, take, we could take these tests. What did he do? He died upon the cross for us. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. We can take the test. So we know a lot about Jesus. We got the facts down. But the next point is this. Do we really know Jesus? Do we know what's on his heart? Do we, do we know what's important to him? Do you, do we, when we look at the world, many times, and this is what I do, we assume that Jesus sees the world the exact same way we see the world. Right? And, and, and so we see the world, we react to it, and then we say, then we, then we don't mind putting Jesus, that, what's that little thing called, the, the hashtag? We don't mind making Jesus a hashtag to what we feel. Things, anybody that, some of you may not know what a hashtag is. I barely know what it is. I, can, I don't know how to even do it on my thing. But we just, we, it's, it's, it's just like an attachment, a little attachment. I've come up with this thing and I attach Jesus to it. Somehow, given my view, my the way I see things and my heart for things, giving it some some legitimacy because I've, I've I've added Jesus to it. We Christians, we who have been born again, we who know that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we still can't know the heart of our Savior unless we spend time with our Savior, unless we. Unless we, I had this one music many years ago. You can tell what generation he covered. He said, he said he got up one day. He said before he led a, a song, he said, you know, what, you know what, folks, you know what God really desires from you. And he's talking to Christians who are already saved. He said, he said basically, what God really desires from you is just to hang out with you, just to be with you. The only way that we can know the heart of our Savior, and not just know about Him, but know the heart of our Savior is to spend time with our Savior. Now listen, he's given us some wonderful tools, if you will, that we can spend time with him. One of those tools is that book that you hold on your lap. How do I know? And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. But how do I know his heart? That book reveals the heart of our Savior. How else do I know the heart of my Savior? How else do I spend time with my Savior? Well, we spend time with our Savior in prayer. Unfortunately, many Christians' prayer Prayers have turned into merely a list of things they want God to do for them. And once they've expressed that list, we get up and we walk away. And when we do that, we've actually lost the, the real essence of what prayer is to be about. The Bible speaks of prayer more as not a list of, of requests, although we are privileged to give our requests to God. Praise God for that. But more than that, prayer is a communion time with God. It's a time where we can spend, that we can spend with God, where we can... 
We can share our hearts. We can share our concern. But not only share our heart, but we can receive what he has for us. And that cannot possibly happen with little three to five minute prayers every once in a while when we need something. Let me tell you one of the hardest things you'll ever do if you've never done it before. That is to set some time alone with Jesus and just spend that time with him. Not with a list of things. Okay, not not with not with the you know all the things you want him to do, but just spend time with him and and be open for him. I guarantee. Let me tell you what's going to happen. If you've done this, you know what I'm what I'm about to say. Everything in the world is going to run through your mind other than just spending time with Jesus. It will be as you begin it one of the hardest things you can do. You ask people how many of you pray for an hour a day. Now think about that. How many of you pray for an hour a day? How many day, how many hours are there in a day? Right. Waking hours, make that 16. Some of you make it 14. Okay? How many people spend an hour of prayer a day? My goodness, forget the hour. How many spend half an hour just with Jesus? Forget the half hour. How many spend 15 minutes a day just with Jesus? Forget the 15. How about five? Just with Jesus. You see, when we who are supposed to be followers of Jesus begin to break it down, and though we would never deny that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, and we're, we're grateful for that, the evidence of that in our life is not as strong as we would like for it to be. So how can we speak of the heart of Jesus if we spend no time with our Jesus? It doesn't just come as we gather here on Sunday for an hour a week. And it doesn't come at the dinner table when we thank him for our food. That's wonderful. Or when we pray when someone has a need. That's wonderful too. There's a desperate need for the evangelical church to return to Jesus. We're good at programs. We're good at methodology. We're good at building campuses, and we're good build it at supporting ministries. But the one thing that's most important, that is that we know our Jesus so that we can walk as Jesus' people, expressing Jesus' heart to a world that needs Jesus desperately. You understand, Fountain Hills does not need First Baptist Church. That sounds kind of crazy. You say, wait a minute, you're the pastor. You're supposed to tell us they need us. They don't need us. Jesus condemned the religious deadheads of his time because what their task was was to go out. He says it this way. You go out and you, and you create a proselyte unto yourself and you make them twice the son of hell as you are. They thought that their mission was to pull people in and make them like them. And Jesus says, no, that's not the mission. The church has to understand that Fountain Hills needs Jesus. Period. You say, well, what about growing the church? You know, Jesus already took care of that, didn't he? He said, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't ask you to build his church. He asked you to be, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, be witnesses of him in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Witnesses of who? Of him. 
Not of our church, not of our denomination, not of our pastor, not of our our program, but of Him. But once again, though we may be very adept at talking about our church and our program and the personalities in our church, we we struggle. We Christians struggle with with presenting Jesus. And, And the answer, they say, well, why is that so? It's because we don't spend time with Him. It is time for us to drop anchor sometime every day and just spend time with Jesus. You know how I like to do it? I like to take his book. I like to sit with it. I, I, I don't want to have an agenda of what I'm going to read. I just want to sit with it. And sometimes, sometimes I get into it when I'm in this prayer time, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's just with him. You say, boy, that seems awful hard, Pastor. Well, let me, let me tell you. Let me, let me give you a practical way. Here's what I guarantee you. If you said, you know what, I'm going to commit to that. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to spend an hour with Jesus. I'm going to tell you, by Tuesday or Wednesday, it's going to be too much for you. Right? And then guess what you're going to do? I failed him again. I know, I, I, I do it all the time. It's the same thing. So you say, well, how do we start? Well, don't start with an hour. How far did I get down to? I got down to five minutes. Let me say this to you. If you seek him for two minutes tomorrow, that's two minutes more than we normally seek him. And here's what I found out. The more time I spend just with Jesus, the more time I want to spend with Jesus. So if I start with five minutes of just spending time with Jesus, what I find as that begins to grow, that five minutes is not enough. And then I find myself, I'm at the 10-minute mark, say, well, how did I get there? The time just flew by. You know, when you're with someone you love, time just flies, doesn't it? When you're with someone you don't know, it, it can drag on. What are you going to talk about? What do you, you know? But when you're with someone you love, it, it flies. So I would encourage you to start somewhere. Drop anchor somewhere. Every day, drop anchor. And spend some time just with Jesus. Turn off the electronic things. Turn off your phone. Turn off everything and spend some time just with Jesus. He loves you. And he promises he'll meet you there. You know, what could happen if the church started just spending time with Jesus? What what would happen? I think the heart of the church would be transformed in the heart of Christ. And that can't help but reflect on how we treat one another and how we treat the community that's around us, how we even treat our enemies. It's an incredible thing when we spend time with Jesus. Spending time at the feet of Jesus, what could be better than that? Well, let's read on before we run out of time here this morning. Look, at, look with me at, at verse 2, and look at what it says here. It says, then he taught. So God has called us through his word to spend time at the feet of Jesus. But what are we doing when we spend the time at the feet of Jesus? Not only are we knowing his heart, getting to know who he is, but he will always teach us the things that are important to him. It says here that he taught them many things by the parables. Think about this. Receiving the teachings of Jesus, what a great blessing that is to us. That we might be able to receive the, blessing, the teachings of Jesus. You think about this. This world offers so many different 
philosophies and, and, and ways of thought and, and ways of living your life and stuff. And, and, and if we're not careful, we could spend all of our time reading this book about it and that book about it, this author about it and that author about it. When we have the teacher, the teacher, who's already expressed his truth to us. We need to hear, not only spend time with Jesus so that we, so that we know his heart, but we also need to hear the teachings of Jesus. What's important to him? Have you ever listened to someone talk about Jesus, and by the time you got done listening to them talking about Jesus, it didn't seem like they were talking about Jesus at all? Somehow they had come up with a, or conjured up a Jesus of their own. A Jesus that fit into their way of thinking, their, their lifestyle, or, or whatever the case may be. You find this today where people will talk about Jesus and they'll say, well, Jesus never said anything harsh or Jesus never condemned this. Jesus is accepting of all things and Jesus is tolerant of all things. You, I hope you know that that's not true. The whole point for Jesus coming is because mankind had sinned against God. Jesus is never accepting of sin. And boy, they like to, they like to use that one where, well, don't you remember the woman caught in adultery? Yes, I do remember the woman caught in adultery. Do you? Do you remember everything that Jesus said to that woman? When there was no one there left to condemn her, because I believe they were convicted of their own sin, and they had to leave the scene, and Jesus says, hey, where are your accusers? No one's there to condemn you. And Jesus says, well, and I don't condemn you anymore. But do what? Go and sin no more. The idea of this weak, tolerant, out-of-touch Jesus who's okay with anything and everything that people want to do is not biblical at all. And the reason why you have some professing Christians that go down that path is because they have never really listened to the teachings of Jesus. And they have warped what the Scripture has said, and they warped what the Scripture means. Even the word, word love today doesn't mean what the Bible teaches us that love means. Today people tell you that love means that you don't deal with anything hard, that you don't talk about anything hard, that you certainly don't deal with sin, you don't deal with the need to be, to be covered in the blood of Jesus, you don't, you don't deal with the need of the cross. Those are not things of love. But I would say to you biblically, they are the very things of love. People say, don't, if you love me, you will not say anything about what I'm doing. The Bible says quite the opposite. The Bible says that if you love them, you will share with them that which they are doing, which may be leading to the eternal damnation. You share with them the hope. Hebrews talks about our God. It says, because he loves us, he does what? He chastens us. It didn't say because he loves us, he said, go do whatever you want to do. There, are, there is right and there is wrong. And God has set the standard of right and wrong. And Jesus came to express the teaching, the truth of God to a world that did not want to receive the truth of God. And once again, we find ourselves in our generation with those people who have adulterated and perverted the very words of Jesus and created a Jesus of their own making that is nothing like the Jesus of the Bible. It is because God loves us that Jesus died for our sins. 
He doesn't just pacify them. He doesn't just pass over them. He doesn't just say they're okay, live any way that you want. He says these sins are, 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 I brought upon you condemnation. These sins will separate you from God forever. But I came to do what you could not do to make sure that you could have a relationship with God once again. You see, sin is not a small thing to God. It's not a, it's never a small thing to God. You think about it, sin costs God the life of his son. Jesus gave everything because you and I are sinners. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus and we receive the teaching of Jesus, we begin to see the Jesus of the Scripture. One who could not tolerate sin, but also one who understood we could not fix our sin problem by ourselves, so he came and did what we could not do. Dying on the cross in our stead. And, I, and I'm warning you that we, we have, it's moving through many of our religious institutions and churches today. There are those who are denying that Jesus literally died in our stead. Please keep your ears open to this. They are denying the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And they are saying anybody who teaches the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ actually turns God into a monster that actually hates his son and kills his son. It, again, is a perversion. It is a warping of the love of God. If Jesus did not die for our sins, listen, if Jesus did not die for our sins, then we are still in our sins. If Jesus did not atone for our sins, then our sins are still upon us, and because if they're still upon us, we will spend eternity separated from God. We have no hope. But the clear message of the gospel, the clear teachings of the gospel, is that he did die for our sin. And because he died for our sins, our sins have been paid for in full by what Jesus Christ did upon the, on the cross. And if by faith we put our trust in Jesus Christ as we're led by the Holy Spirit to do so, our sins can be forgiven. We can know that we belong to God and we have eternity promised for us in a place called heaven that Christ has pre- prepared for us. Amen? That's the promise that we have. But you can't know that if you don't spend some time at the feet of Jesus, not only getting to know his heart, but listening to his teachings. How important is it to spend time listening to the teachings of Christ? It's crucial. If we don't have his word taught by, led by the Holy Spirit, teaching us who he is, we will create a God and a Jesus in our own image rather than the other way around. You don't believe me? Look at all the religions in the world that deny what the Scripture says. They've done that very thing. They've created a God that is not God. They've created a Jesus who is not Jesus. One of the most prominent ones today is, 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 is the religion of Islam, growing like wildfire. And people say, well, Allah is God. Well, not if you read what the Koran itself says about Allah. There's no way that the Allah of the Koran is the God of the Bible. Impossible. And Jesus, who they call Esau, they want you to say, well, Esau and Jesus are the same thing. But here's what the Koran says about Esau. Esau is not the son of God. Esau did not die on a cross. Esau did not rise from the dead. That tells me right there that their Esau is not the Jesus of the Bible. You everybody got that? But you have these people who are saying, Allah and God are the same. Esau and Jesus are the same. So we're all the same. It's not true. If you and I reject 
the Jesus of the Bible, then we reject, then we damn our own souls to eternity. That's That's the bottom line. Nobody wants to say that because everything is inclusive today. And so we've set aside biblical doctrine for what feels good. Because we want everybody to feel good. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't want someone who's headed to an eternal devil's hell to feel good about that. You know what I'm saying? I want them to know that there's a God who loves them. And if they don't turn to his son, Jesus Christ, that's where they're headed. But God loved them so much that he has sent his one and only son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. But there's only one Jesus who's the way. There's only one Jesus who's the truth, and there's only one Jesus who is the life. That's Jesus, the Son of God. That's Jesus who's presented in the Scripture. And we unashamedly share that message with the world. But we cannot share that clear message if we don't know it ourselves. So we need to drop anchor. We don't only need to drop anchor to spend time just with Jesus so we know his heart. We need to drop anchor and sit at the feet of Jesus and receive his teachings. What did Jesus really say there? What did Jesus really mean when he said this here? And that brings me to the last part of my message today. Because Jesus, after he says these, these things about, about the crowd that gathered around him, about listening to his teachings, he goes right into a parable. A parable is a, is a common everyday story that these people would have understood from just living everyday life. But from Jesus' perspective, it had an an eternal message to it. The parable that he chose to speak to them, first of all here, is a parable of the seeds. It's not only included here, but the other Gospels carry it. Particularly, uh, if you look in Matthew, you'll see a more extended version of of this parable. And what he talks about is the seed. And he talks about the seed that is cast out. And along with the seed, he talks about four different types of ground that the seed falls on. There's some things that are universally true in this, in this parable that I want you to get. The seed is cast out. Who casts the seed out? You could say, well, we do. Well, I think we can be a part of that. But more correctly, I think it's the Holy Spirit that casts the seed out. The Holy Spirit casts the seed out. In all four occasions, the caster of the seed is the same. In all four occasions in this parable, the seed is the same. It's the same seed. Holy Spirit casting the same seed. What's the seed represent? I believe the seed represents the word of God. You could even say the gospel. Okay? What is different in this parable that Jesus gives us is the ground. There are four different kinds of ground here. Look at, look at that, the passage with me very quickly. Let's look at these four. It says, first of all, that, that some of them fell on the wayside. And you know what that's like on the wayside? It's unprepared ground. It's hard ground. The seed could not take root at all. And so the seed perished. The second one is some fell on stony ground. And stony ground is demonstrated for us as, as ground that doesn't have good, good topsoil, if you will. It has no depth of topsoil. It has a little bit. So the, so the seed could germinate, but, but it could not, it could not plant the roots down there. and it, So because it could not plant the roots, boy, it, it just could not handle when the heat came up and when things came up. It had no 
strong root system. It was not well grounded, if you will. And so it perished when the sun came out. The third type of soil that you see there, he called it thorny soil. Okay, thorny soil. Or we might put it this way in, in Arizona. When you, when you plant one seed, then you're going to have like five different weeds that come up with that one seed. When I was growing up here outside of Chandler and stuff, worked every summer, walking up and down the cotton rows. Why did the farmer have me walking up, me and a couple other guys walking up and down the farm row? Fifth grader walking up with this hoe in my hand. I was going after two things. I was going after Johnson grass and morning glory. Anybody know what these things are? If you ever see morning glory, it looks a lot like cotton, but it's not. And we would go in and we would chop out the Johnson grass and we'd chop out the morning glory. Why? So that the good cotton could grow. Well, Jesus says in this parable here that some of the seed fell along those thorny or those weed-infested places. And before long, the seed, when it tried to grow, it was choked out by these weeds. And Jesus described that as the cares of the world began to choke it out. And then the fourth ground. He says that ground was a good ground, good soil, rich soil, deep soil, prepared soil. And the seed that fell on that grew up. It matured and it produced some 50-fold, some 100-fold. Jesus' teaching for us is that we, as the church, are privileged to join the Holy Spirit in taking that seed and sharing that good seed. Now, the seed was always good. But here's what you and I cannot know. As we share that seed, we cannot really know what the ground looks like that we're sharing it on. And I would say to you, that's really not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to take the seed and to share it. Our responsibility is to take the gospel and share it. How can they know if there is no preacher? How can the world know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for their sins and and by faith in him, sins can be forgiven and one can have eternal life? How can they know that except for the church who God ordained to do so goes out there and shares that message, casting the seed, which is the word of God? How can they know? And how can we do that unless we spend time at the of Jesus knowing what he taught listening to his truth how can we even want to do that unless we spend time at the feet of Jesus just getting to know his heart here's what I do know Jesus loves the lost people of Fountain Hills more than I do the nature of who I am as a man would be I'm inclined. I would rather get into a, a debate and discussion with them rather than God loves the lost people of Fountain Hills. How do we begin to love the lost people of Fountain Hills? By spending time with Jesus and knowing his heart. Dropping anchor and spending time with him. And once we our heart has been changed, how are we going to know what we need to share with them? By spending time at the feet of Jesus and receiving his teaching, his truth. So that we know that what, the, what this community needs is Christ's word, Christ's teaching. 
And as we know what we need to share, the third thing is this. We need to go do it. We need to be willing to cast that seed out there. We need to be willing to share that truth out there. You see, it does very little good to say, I know what Christ's heart is for people. And I know what the truth is. And then just sit, sit, excuse me, sit in our churches saying, I got it. Or locking ourselves into our homes and saying, I got it. Or refusing to open our mouth and share with those that we spend our days with about this truth. And just say, well, at least I got it. Having the heart of Jesus is having the heart for the lost. We have the teaching of Jesus, not so we can just say, I got the teaching of Jesus, but so that we can take that truth, led by the Holy Spirit, and share it with other people. But we must be intentional in casting that seed. How can they know if we don't? I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. We are called this morning as a people of God to drop anchor. Drop anchor and spend some time with Jesus so that we might know the heart of our Savior. Drop anchor and spend some time listening to His teaching and receiving His truth so that we know what we need to be sharing with this world that He has put us in. And then we need to pull up anchor. And go out in his power and his strength with his heart and with his truth led by his spirit and share his truth, his word, his gospel, his good news with the community that God has put us in. But because though we don't like to say it, most of Fountain Hills does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm not judging anybody. The world itself is that way. Most of the world does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we need to be willing to take that seed and we need to be willing to cast it liberally out into the world and then trust God with the harvest that he brings as we are obedient toward him. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity of this hour, this time we've been together. Father, I pray that as we've considered what your word has has said to us, and I, I pray, Lord, that our hearts have been open. Father, I pray that for myself, I don't assume that this message is for someone else in this building. It's for me. So, Lord, I, I pray that you help me daily to, to just spend time with you, Jesus, just to, just to know you. And give me a heart that's receptive to your word and your teachings. Help me cast aside all those other teachings that, that are not of you. And then, Lord, let me go in your power and your strength because I've spent time with you, because I know what your word is. And let me, with your heart, with your truth, and with your love, share your gospel wherever your spirit leads me. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, that maybe your Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart, and today you're ready to bring them to salvation, to the forgiveness of their sin, and to eternal life. And Lord, if that be the case, we would rejoice with you and we would, we would encourage them. And Father, if there's people here who, who just need to begin a time where they would say, 
I need someone to pray with me so that, that, so that my, my life, my, my view of life would be changed, that I would spend time with my Savior. Or I pray that, that, that the people would respond to that. And then finally, Lord, you brought people here to be a part of this church. Lord, your will be done. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this day in Jesus' name.